gospel lesson comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. And as we prepare to hear God's word this day, let us pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your words be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your words be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. Mark 10, 17 through 31. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before Jesus and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age. Houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and fields of persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This is the word of God. For us, the people of God, thanks be to God. You may be like me and have heard this story preached or read numerous times, shared many times, and a lot of the times, the message focuses on this verse. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. I preached this, focusing on this verse myself. This rich man, so ready and willing to follow Jesus, to step more fully into discipleship, to live into his faith, until... Jesus asks him to sell all that he has and give it to the poor. Then he walks away because giving up his wealth is just too big a cost. Now this is certainly in the story. You can't get around it. But when I was staying at a monastery in Tese, France, I heard this story told with just a little bit of a twist. One of the brothers in the monastery was sharing on this passage in one of our morning devotions, and he began the same way many of us begin, but then there was just this slight twist. He focused in on this verse. Teacher, I have kept all of these 
since my youth. I have done the things, the rich man said. I am the A student. I follow the rules. But there must be something more. There has to be more I can do. And it was in this one little area of seeking for more that the brother focused in on. And then the why. Why does this rich man search for more? Why is he not content with hearing, you know the commandments, live into those as you already are, and trust that God sees your faithfulness? And then why, on hearing what that more is, does he walk away grieving? Could it be that the more he sought was more status? A place of honor for himself, respect, a pat on the back, a seat of honor at the table for all the things he was so proudly doing. Could it be that he expected Jesus to give him this great task to accomplish where all would see how truly great and faithful he was? What a man of God he is, the people would say. Instead... What he received was a command to get rid of all the things that gave him greatness, his place in society to begin with. The title in my Bible for this story just simply says, The Rich Man. So we know that this man was born into a place of wealth, a place of privilege. He did have a seat of honor in this world, and not because, we can pretty well assume, not because he did anything to really deserve it. The world in which he lived placed people in categories at birth. You didn't really rise from one station to another. I guess you could still fall. I mean, the ancient world was very unstable. But there was also this belief that those who were below you, who were poor, the despised, the unseen edges of society. There was a reason they were there. They, or the generations before them, they must have done something. And while you may lend a hand every now and then to help, to serve, because your faith story told you to do that, you were not one of them. You were a rich man. This rich man goes away grieving because no one would willingly become part of that group. The group that was below. The poor, the despised, the unseen edges of society. There was a reason they were there. So this story may not be so much about wealth and greed and the lack of generosity as it is about place and class and power structures and seeking greatness and the underlying reasons we do the things we do, even in our walk of faith. And if you tie this story to a story that immediately follows it, this seems to be the case for even the disciples fall into this notion. We may hear the disciples in our passage today say, we have left everything and followed you. We did the thing. We gave it all up. We committed to the way. But just four verses later, James and
John, they come to Jesus and they say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Remember, we left everything and followed you. Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Give us status and a place of honor. We desire respect, a pat on the back, a seat of honor at the table for the things we so proudly did. We left everything and followed you. We accomplished a great task. All should see how truly great we are. What man of God, they will say. Yesterday, there was a Facebook memory that popped up on my phone um, that was timely and fitting for this series we are going through. Um, apparently, it's a conversation I had with my younger son, Cody, who was then five years old. So my five-year-old comes in and asks me, Mom, when you die, are you a disciple? She says, no, you're a disciple now. When you believe in Jesus and you choose to follow Jesus, you're a disciple. To which my five-year-old replied, I don't want to follow him. I just want to believe in him. been going through this discipleship series for, well, since August. And when I think of discipleship, this is the challenge I see. It's the whole, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Letting go of entitlement and privilege and thinking that we, because of who we are, or where we were born, or what family we're a part of, or what car we drive, or what school we attended, or how much money we give, or what we do, that we somehow should be given the place of honor. Or maybe, maybe it's not that we should be given the place of honor, but those people, whoever the those for us is at any given moment, they at the very least, should not be given that place. The challenge of discipleship is to somehow let go of all of these categories of class and race and gender and nationality to give it up, to let it go, to not be bound by these things in such a way that they have a stronger hold on us than the call of Christ. The other great challenge of discipleship is the fight to fight the urge to wear our faith as a badge of honor, using our faith to gain favor or standing or place. I mean, this is a challenge I believe we all fully accept, but we find ourselves saying it various times in our lives, in various circumstances, yes, challenge accepted, maybe. And sometimes just when we think we have let it all go, that we have accepted this great challenge, that yes, all these exterior things really don't matter to us, somehow there's little pieces that creep back in for all of us. We are the disciples proclaiming we have left everything and followed you one minute 
just to come to Jesus the next minute and say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Grant us to sit, one at your right and one at your left. There's a theologian, Daniel Erlander, um, I find out, found out just passed away this past September. I was Googling and looking for information about him. Uh, but he had this study entitled Manna and Mercy. I worked through this at one of my previous churches, and I know that the previous pastor, Reverend Bruce Case, led a group of you through it at Parkway Hills as well. But it's called Manna and Mercy, a brief history of God's unfolding promise to mend the entire universe. Now, the study begins find the page, as the Bible does. I mean, chapter 1, beginnings. You begin with creation. But when you turn the page, very next page, much like we find in the Bible, you get this. God's celebration was disrupted when the earth creatures decided they could find joy in ways other than living as partners with God. Humans decided to find joy by becoming big deals. How did humans know if they were big deals? They knew by bossing other humans around, by piling up stuff, by dominating nature, and by reaching glorious heights of health and beauty and knowledge. They also knew by having more points than other humans in their scoring system. There's copies of these in the office if you want to go through the whole thing. It's a really good study. <coughs> I have this pen. Um, when I went through this with my last church, my administrative assistant found this pen and gave it to me. Um, and it says I'm kind of a big deal, and it even, it even lights up. Um, but I leave it. I leave it in my office. Um, no, not as a reminder that, yes, I am kind of a big deal. Um, but I leave it in my office as a reminder of this study. And the way as you go through this study, it invites us to think about God's vision for how we are to be. I also keep it to remind me that anytime I or society starts to fall into the I'm kind of a big deal, it usually means we're naming someone else or some group as the little deals. Because for someone to be on top, Someone has to be on the bottom. For there to be a top, there has to be a bottom. One last thing in all this defining of rich, poor, big deal, little deal. The great harm comes when we start to believe we are who other people say we are. Whether that be the big deal or the little deal. When we rise so high and we are worshipped at such a level that we start to believe we are great, maybe even the greatest, this is when we become a threat. Or when we are so low that we believe what the world says about us. You are only this. You will only ever be this. Then we injure ourselves. And the world may miss out on the great gift that is us. But thanks be to God, our story of faith says something other. We 
as disciples of Jesus Christ, well, we are called to constantly shake things up, to turn it all upside down. Because the world, we, in our brokenness, we keep stacking. We keep creating the categories. If this wasn't the case, I don't know that the housing shortage would be what it is. We can't help ourselves. We continue to find joy in ways other than living as partners with God. The rich man in our story, he walks away grieving because Jesus asks, what Jesus asks redefines everything about how he understands life and faith. It calls into question the very way he understands the world to work. What are the things? in our lives, in our communities, in our world that would need to be redefined so that the last would indeed be first and the first be last? What changes would need to take place? How would our lives, our communities, our world look different if we could let go and we could allow these changes to take place? Would we grieve if a shakeup such as this would happen? We read portions from the prophetic book of Micah, and it's the second time in this discipleship series that we have lifted these words. But in those words, the prophet is speaking to the nations of Israel and Judah before the great Assyrian Empire invades. Now, Micah did not live within the great urban areas, but he was in the countryside. And his words were very critical of the way that urban rulers use their power. Micah's words are aimed particularly at those rulers who took advantage of their power. But it's a warning to all with ears to hear that we must treat others justly and worship God. Micah summarizes the best of Israel's prophetic tradition when he urges his audience to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. We can't love God, Micah says, unless we also love and care for our neighbors, particularly the most vulnerable among us. And we can't fully love our neighbors unless we commit to this lifelong journey of walking with God. Growing in love of God so that we may grow in love of neighbor. When I think of the story of the rich man kind of held alongside these words from Micah, I think a fitting summary would be, after all of this is over, all that will really matter is how we treated one another. A rich man comes to Jesus ready and willing to follow Jesus, to step more fully into discipleship, to live into his faith. Teacher, I have kept all the commandments since my youth. I have done the things. I am the A student. I follow all the rules. But there must be something more. There has to be more I can do. He's ready and willing until... Jesus asked him to sell all that he has and give it to the poor. Then he walks away grieving because that is just too big a cost. 
the things in our lives, in our communities, in our world that would need to be redefined so that the last can be first and the first be last? What changes would need to take place? How would our lives, our communities, our world look different if we could let go and allow these changes to take place? Would we grieve? if a shakeup such as this would happen? Do we wish to be a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ? Challenge accepted. Maybe. Amen. So we turn to a time of prayer. Let us remember.